This is The Changelog, and I'm your host, Adam Stachowiak. We're a member-supported blog and podcast that covers the intersection of software development and open source. We shine a spotlight on what's fresh and new in open source. You can tune into this show live every Tuesday at 3 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Eastern at thechangelog.com slash live. And this is episode number 0.8.5, recorded April 16th, 2013. We're joined by myself, Andrew Thorpe, Steve Klavnik, Kenneth Rice, and Jared Santo. And if you found this show on iTunes, we're also on the web at thechangelog.com. If you're on Twitter, follow the changelog because that is us. Enjoy the show. Welcome back, everybody. This is the official uh, relaunch of the Change Law Podcast. It's been since like August of forever ago. Um, this show will now be broadcast live every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Central Time, which is actually 3 p.m. in Steve's land because you're uh, – where are you at, Steve? I'm in L.A. at the moment. You're in L.A. at the moment. So if you're in the Pacific Time Zone, it's 3 o'clock. If you're on the East Coast, guess what time it is? 6 o'clock. And we'll do this show live every Tuesday. We'll be having uh, all the change loggers on the show here and there. We'll have rotating guests. It'll be a lot of fun. We'll talk about software development, open source, and everything in between. So we uh, we bring our opinions. We bring a bunch of fun. And hopefully you join us live every Tuesday. But I'm joined by a bunch of awesome people this show. It's a bunch of change loggers, as a matter of fact. The first person in that lineup is Andrew Thorpe. Sir, how are you? I'm doing good, Stack. How you doing, man? I'm doing good. We also have Jared Santo on the call as well. Jared, say hello. Hello, hello. We also have Steve Klabnik. Yo. Yo. And we also have, last but not least, Kenneth Reitz. Hello, Adam. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, are you guys excited that the change log is back? Yes. Oh, yeah. As the first contributor, I am tremendously excited. As the first contributor. You are, you are the... The first, weren't you? It was like many, many years ago. Many, many years Back ago. Back in my PHP days. <laughs> wow. Wow. <laughs> so you've actually literally grown as a developer with the change log. I mean, not with, but over the years. Tremendously, yes. Tremendously. Yeah, and you started out... Where did you start out then, since we're just chatting about that quickly? Uh, you mean like what company was I working for at the yeah, time? Yeah, like what were you doing around the time when you first started working with the change log? Uh, well, I've been using Python for many years and loving it, but only for like personal stuff. And then I was I was kind of learning web stuff with with PHP, and I did this obscure framework called Groovy on Grails, which you may have heard of. Yeah, mm-hmm. I was experimenting with that. It was a very dark time in my life. <laughs> <laughs> a very dark time in your life. And so, since Kenneth, since you mentioned it, you mentioned the dark ages of the change log. We actually officially started the change log. November of 2009 that uh, it was kind of a happy accident I like to say because uh, Wynn and I were both kind of in unique places in our lives and in our careers and we just happened to have some extra time and we were both geeking out on uh, open source at the time you know it was only I would say it was only maybe a year into GitHub being around because they launched like the year before so a lot of the recent culture that has become the norm was still fresh and still new to to use our own phrase, but uh, it's kind of cool. So this sounds super nerdy. I swear, I just happened to run across this the other day. But uh, Yehuda Katz is uh, user ID number four on GitHub, and he signed up in February of '09. So that's roughly when they went public, at least. 
Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. And they only, well, they have three owners or three founders. So right. he was number one. Yep. He was number one. Wow. That's, that is so crazy, man. Well, it, what's really crazy is I got on the, 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 uh, GitHub train pretty quickly and my number was in the like thousands. I mean that those yeah. users took off fast. I so, signed up somewhere like October or November and I was 35,000. Yeah. I mean, so. that was just crazy how that just took off like that, but it's cool to see. How do you find out your number, your ID? Uh, you go to api.github.com slash users slash your username. I think. Yes. Yeah. That is correct. So, for example, I'll paste this in IRC. Mine is that. Oh, wow. Sweet. I'm like 2933, so I was somewhat new or somewhat in the early adoption stage. I was really late. I'm 119,000. Wow. Yeah. Because I'm not a Ruby guy. <laughs> it's it's crazy to look back at the last few years and just look at how much has changed. In a, in a lot of cases, too, how for how for granted I guess we we take things. You know, uh, and that might be a backwards way of saying that, but you know, nowadays it seems you know, if you find a library or if you hear about a project, nine times out of ten it's open source. Right, nine times out of ten, even maybe even more than that, it's actually on GitHub and not something else or somewhere else. Right. And it's just kind of crazy to be in that world now. But back in those days, it was still kind of catching up. And I I even remember being um, when it was like a feat for jQuery to have moved over, or even Rails to have moved from Subversion to to GitHub, and what a big deal that was. It's kind of crazy, right? Yeah, you wonder like, you know, I don't know what it was like for everyone else, but the kind of the uh the path for me when i came out of college and just started to get in this world you know which by the way i got a computer science degree in college and didn't do version control once in college which kind of is shocking but uh for me i got out and it's like the, the trend you know you go to subversion and then there was this bridge the svn git bridge and then we finally went to git it was just kind of cool to see that a lot of people i've come across now have kind of followed that same path if you were there i mean and then you meet the uh you know, the older people, the not older, but people that have been doing this for longer that come from even further back in that tree in the CVS era. So it's cool to see. One of the things that really opened my eyes about GitHub was when you'd land on the homepage of a, of a project and you'd see the code sitting right there. Because I was always a SourceForge user and, like, a, a user as in I would, you know, download software from there, not that I use it for version control. Mm-hmm. But I never even realized that, like... <laughs> You could get at the code for a lot of those projects, because, <laughs> and because it's just not emphasized in the UI, you know. And yeah. when I saw GitHub, and uh, you'd land on the repo and you'd see the code right there, it was kind of eye-opening at the time for me, at least. Yeah, I mean, if you you know you use SourceForge back in the day, it's like you would get there to download whatever you needed to download. And were you ever really sure you were downloading the right version of what you no. needed on SourceForge? You know, no, not at all. Yeah. <laughs> My favorite thing is when you go and pick a project and you want to download it and it gave you like a thousand different servers you could pick from all over the world (laughs) and none of them worked. I'm like, I don't really care. I just want a link that will let me download this one megabyte application. I don't need it to be from next door. I'm going to have to show you ads. (laughs) Yeah, and I'm in Omaha, so all the servers are kind of far away from me, but they're all kind of closed. You know, being in the middle of America, everything's... I'm centralized. I was always sitting there just trying to figure out, like, which one of these do I do – I, am I closer to Chicago or St. Louis? <laughs> I don't know. Time loss debating. Yeah, exactly. So since this is, like, the 
I guess the very first show since like forever ago, right? It, it kind of makes sense to maybe not so much just like paint the history of of like open source and software development and how it's changed over the last few years, or even just since the inception of the changelog. Um, but like also to kind of rehash what we've done since January. So we we relaunched this blog late January. It kind of sat dormant in this hibernation mode with. Uh, mainly, I would say, just because we were all so busy. I mean, we all have been around and doing things and been um, involved, but just haven't had the time to really give the blog its attention that that is needed. And uh, I guess the the easiest way to say it was just it's just life. Life happens. Um, but we relaunched the blog with uh, uh, in January, and one of the coolest things I think, and you know, hopefully, listeners, you you feel the same way, and. Readers of, of the blog, you feel the same way as well. But uh, for a while there, and I even hear this too, and I, I might be jumping around a little bit, but uh, for a while there, we, you know, somehow we had to make some level of money to make the change log uh, possible to do. Because we always wanted to get to a point where we can pay the people involved and everyone here that, uh, you know, is writing for the change log. It may not be a ton of money, but we're all at least getting paid. And that's that's become a good thing for us because it gives us some some reason, I guess, to, to do it beyond just uh, our open source contributing uh, contributions. But um, one cool thing we did was launch a membership. So if you care about the change log, you want to be involved in the change log and see it keep going, then uh, you can go to the changelog.com slash membership and uh, and sign up. It's like four bucks a month. It's not very expensive, but it helps us keep the lights on. It helps us uh, produce more content. It helps us produce this podcast and uh, and grow. So we're all kind of kind of doing that. But one thing we did that was a maybe not unique to us, but we just like, and we're not even mad at advertisers. We just didn't want to do it. And when I say we, I, that was really coming from, you know, my desire to to axe ads in the sidebar and uh, and t- to also axe ads here on the podcast. Not because I don't like to advertise for good. Uh, softwares and services out there, but just because I wanted to truly focus on the content. And when it came down to the membership, um, I wanted the customer, because if you look at it from a revenue standpoint, if the advertiser is the one that always that's always paying you to do whatever, they're really the customer. And I really wanted to, to flip that on its head and totally make content the king that it should have been um, in this situation and, and get everyone back involved in the change log and focused on on uh, creating great content, and that's that's been the key. So, to make uh, you the customer, we uh, we created memberships, which is pretty neat. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's, you know, it's been a. So I came on the change log. Uh, shoot, I don't know. I guess it was about a year ago now, maybe a little less than a year ago. And um, you know, it's a it's a a work of love, or I don't know what the, what's the phrase—a gift of love, or whatever—and labor uh, of love, a labor of love, labor of love. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was a labor of love. Uh, kind of for a me gift and, of love. Yeah, a gift of love with Andrew Thorpe. No, it was a, uh, <laughs> the labor of love for me, and I started doing it, and you know, I never got, um, you know, I never got sick of writing. Uh, you know, for a while there, towards the end of last year, uh, I was kind of really the only one uh, writing, and um, not Bob that I got Ed. sick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, not that I got sick of it or anything, but you know, it, it just you get you get a little bit burnt out. You get a little bit um, tired because this is not our full time job. This is you know, you work your full time job. You come home, or you know, for me, you walk to the kitchen, and um, you, you you sit down and you think like, do I want to write right now? And um, 
so being a labor love, being something that we weren't being paid for, something that we weren't you know collecting any kind of revenue on, it's it's even for people that have the best of intentions, it will wear on you for after a while. So um, you know, this is just an attempt to kind of keep it hot and fresh, and uh, you know, keep everyone excited about what we're doing. Um, you know, I'm working with Stack to just figure out how we can keep the who's the most important, which is the readers excited. And, uh, you know, through that, we want to keep all of our writers excited and happy to be doing what they're doing. So, um, yeah, so it's just a nice little, you know, it, it's, it's never going to be anyone's, you know, no one's going to get rich off the change log, but it's just a nice little <laughs> yeah. incentive to, uh, you know, to keep, to keep it moving. And that's what we want to do. You know, we want to avoid, um, what happened from December to, or I guess November to January and, uh, we don't want it to go dark because, you know, you'd be surprised. Just, you know, I recently moved to Nashville. Um, I went to the Ruby Group here the second day I was here, and I was talking to a few of the people. And um, one of the guys' name was Jeff, and, you know, he was just telling me, like, it's it's sad that the changelog went dark. Like, I loved the podcast. I loved the blog. It's sad to me that it went dark. And it was like, I told him, you know, yeah, we're, we really want to avoid that because I've heard that over and over again from people at conferences, at meetups, at all this stuff. So, um, you know, we want to avoid that. We want to keep this thing moving as, as far as we can. Yeah, Most important part of any open source project is sustainability. Yeah, right? absolutely. Sustainability. You know, and Angie, you mentioned just like getting back into the groove. Like, Kenneth, you mentioned you were one of the very first uh, contributors to the change log. And then Steve, I don't know when you came on, but I just remember reading something about you and hackety hack and shoes. And it wasn't too, too long after why, uh, disappeared and you took on one of his projects and you were blogging about how you really had a passion for writing. I'm like, I gotta get this guy on the hook, man. I'm like, we gotta, we gotta get him. I didn't even know who you were when I reached out to you. It's kind of I, serendipitous, really. I don't think I was anyone. But that's the, and that's another thing altogether. But um, yeah, I thought I thought I was the first, to be honest. But I don't. It doesn't matter who's the first. Um, <laughs> but it was cool. It was it was sweet to be able to have a, another place to write all the time. So I, you know, it's not always like the most writing intensive stuff. Like sometimes I spend two or three days on a blog post, um, you know, and I don't always do that for the change dog because you know covering software is easier than writing like really in depth cited um, mm-hmm. things. But it's good to like, I love being abreast of what's going on and, you know, being able to like tell other people like, Oh yeah, there's a sweet library that does this thing. So, right. Yeah. Steve, I don't know if you, you know this, I think this is kind of funny, but, um, you know, when you started to, to do rust, um, and to, to just get into it, which I'd love for you to kind of share with us a little bit, but, um, it's, you know, that I don't know if you even know this, this is going to sound awkward. I don't know how to phrase this, but I'm the (laughs) one that reached out to you to, to help you with that. And, uh, do you know that? Sweet. Uh, I don't think that I know that. No. I'm the one that you gave uh, you gave access to the wiki, or to the uh, repo on GitHub. Uh, oh yeah, and all that. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember that uh, that part of it. Yes, totally. It's so many. So right now I've been doing pair with me's all this week, and so I've been yeah. getting emails from tons of people who I like tangentially know. It's like, hey, this person I follow on Twitter a little bit like wants to hang out and pair, and so I started forgetting like who wanted to work on what. So. Um, my brain has been in pair with me emails mode, but yeah, I totally remember you giving me a hand briefly with the the Rust for Rubius stuff, um, which is very helpful. So, yeah, and I definitely want to want to keep going with that. Uh, I work, you know, my my day job is with Stack, so uh, we've been super slammed lately. But um, you know, I definitely want to keep going with that, and uh, it's exciting. That Rust is something that just just kind of watching it from the uh, fringes has been real something to to keep an eye on. It's been real exciting. 
Yeah, I have, some good, I have some good stuff planned for Rust for Rubius. Uh, well, I should say not necessarily for Rust for Rubius, but another project based on it. So we can absolutely talk about that. I'll just leave the teaser in this podcast right now since I'm not really ready to talk about what I'm doing with it yet. But what were you awesome. saying? Uh, who was saying something? I talked over them. I'm sorry. Uh, it was uh, me, uh, Kenneth. Uh, I was wondering if you could tell us more about Pair With Me. I've never heard of it before. It looks pretty cool. Yeah, okay. Me either. So I'm super obsessed with Twitter, and by obsessed, I mean I don't think about it. It's just like part of my consciousness. And so uh, I was at a conference uh, the other day. There were three Ruby conferences over the last two weeks or something, um, and they were all at almost the same time. And I saw um, a bunch of tweets that went out with this pair with me hashtag. And um, basically, uh, I saw some people tweet about it. So I tweeted like, yeah, I'd love someone to help out with Rails or Rescue if you want to pair with me, whatever. And I sort of put in the back of my head, like, figure out what that is later. Um, And so it turns out that Avdi Grimm gave a talk at one of those conferences and had um, put had given a talk about pairing and then said, I wanted to start this initiative called uh, Pair With Me where I get random people to program on the internet. So basically, uh, I don't remember what the website is um, exactly, but it's some sort of uh, Pair With Me uh, and Avdi. And so basically it's just like you tweet with the Pair With Me hashtag and people get back to you and then you <coughs> you prepare program in some capacity. So I did like 10 of them this week, something along those lines. Wow. Um, is there, or two. is there a repo for this then? Or yeah, what, what is I'll, it? Fi- I'll find it while we're talking. Um, so I don't remember specifically what... Uh, here's, the, here's the repo. I'll paste this in the chat, but for those of you listening, it's um, avdi slash ppwm pair program with dot me is also the, the actual like website. Um, yeah. And so, uh, you know, hopefully there'll be more stuff at this website later. Right now it's mostly just a list of resources and like a little badge that we can like share to mm. say like, I'm open with pairing on open source stuff. Um, so that's so. different than the pair with dot me site. Yeah. But there's been a bunch of things like this that have all sort of died out. So let's hope this one doesn't. Uh, um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it seems like it'd be a, almost a opportunity to get in uh integrated with git tip or something like that yeah right that's, that's exactly what i was gonna say i just had a chat um man why can't i remember his name chad uh, whitaker yeah chad chad whitaker. Whitaker. i had a chat with him because i mean he's got so much passion for git tip and uh kenneth i mean you could probably even speak to this because you're like in like the top echelon of people making money on i mean not making money but getting paid for your open source contributions like what's your what's your take home nowadays weekly Oh, and GitHub, I'm, I think it's like $70. But I give a lot of it away, too, to help sustain other projects. That's awesome. And yeah, it's amazing. It's really, like, I think one of the most important... I do a lot of experiments with sustainability and open source. So, like, requests, I have a, I have a thing called Request Pro, where if a company wants to financially, you know, contribute to the project, they can. And there's no difference. It's, like, the exact same code that they receive, but... Uh, and I've you know I've gotten some things through that, but like this by far is the most sustainable thing I've ever seen, and it's really exciting. I'm trying to see here, yeah, and then this just just this week at a uh, Heroku, I decided to start sponsoring some projects as Heroku, and hopefully uh. we start start getting more companies involved. So right just today, like an hour ago, I found out that Max CDN is also contributing seventy two dollars a week, which is super exciting. Uh, to, to developers that are making open source. It's extremely exciting. So what's the unique thing about GitTip? Is it just the, the recurring payments? Yeah, basically you say, I want to give this much money to this person every single week, and its maximum is $24 per person. Um, most okay. Usually you give like $1 or $2, and then, um, you know, 
over time that really adds up because it's weekly. You know, if you're giving someone five dollars a week, that you know that adds up to um, you know two hundred and fifty dollars in a year. So if if a hundred people are doing that to you, that's a that's a big difference. So you give it directly to people and not specific projects. So Correct. The, yeah, the it's moment, to the developers, yeah. and ideally, it doesn't have to even be about developers. Uh, it can be about anybody that's creating anything. Cool. It's a, the goal a is to change the world. Account. Yeah. Yeah, or a Twitter Twitter handle. I'll paste cool. the link in. Yeah. And we should get Chad in here. We should interview him. That'd be good. Yeah, Chad, Chad is a friend of mine, so that would be super awesome. He's a great dude. Yeah, I I think uh, I think Chad's got a really unique thing that he's doing there, and he's he's learned a lot. Uh, you know, he also needs some. I guess maybe he can come on the show and say this, but he also needs some help too. Like he can't do it. <clears throat> excuse me, he can't do it all on his own. I think he's looking for some help here and there. So if you're out there and you're and you're like really you know down to help out with Git Tip, it's and he doesn't call it Git Tip. He calls it Git Tip. Yeah. Anybody know that? Yeah. He uh he he had a great tweet recently. He said that he's not trying to create um. You know, he's not trying. He's not creating GitTip. He's creating the community that's creating GitTip, basically. Yeah. So everything, like, and he's trying to run like the world's first open source company. So all the stuff is public information. Yeah. And there's a GitHub issue for literally every decision that needs to be made. It's pretty amazing. Yeah, I've uh, I got one issue, maybe two issues in there, and they're not actually issues. I think that's kind of a misnomer when it comes to GitHub issues because they're not all issues. They're some of them are actually helpful things. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's kind of like uh, a little off top, but it's kind of like you know in Facebook where the the nomenclature is like, and somebody's grandmother dies. You don't like that, right? You, you, right. you kind of like frown that. That's that's a bummer. Yeah, I think GitHub kind of has embraced that because you know the categories and stuff when you when you create an issue um, doesn't just have to be like it can be a feature request. It doesn't just have to be like a bug. So yeah, man. Yeah. So I guess we've talked about. Get up. We've talked about pair with me. Um, I know you know this this year for the change log has been pretty pretty amazing to me because um, I, I think before the move from Tumblr to WordPress, we had like maybe seven hundred and fifty posts roughly, and that's like since two thousand nine. And since this year's launch, I think we've we've bypassed. I think we've gone past like a hundred and. 10 or 120 new posts since the new year. So like we're already like cruising. So we keep at this pace, you know, we're, we're, it's not so much about even more content either. I think what I always hear from people, at least like I just came back from less conf and, um, a couple other conferences. And the thing I always hear about the change log, and this is definitely something we've always tried to push into the editorial stream is, is, uh, not so much more, uh, you know, it's all about quality versus quantity. But uh, this year has been pretty, pretty amazing in terms of like y'all stepping up and uh, I call it scanning your sectors, right? Like, so Steve, you're you're posting more things about you know the the recent thing with Postgres, uh, you know changes to Rails and uh, some new you know Uber new stuff around Rust. Um, you know, Andrew, you've been posting things around. JavaScript, you post this stuff about Twitter's flight. Jared, you've been posting all sorts of things about unique JavaScript things as well. But I kind of call it like us scanning our sectors and like reporting back to this community of of software developers about like what is unique and what is kind of, uh, I guess, is is the word cool or is the word useful? 
think magical is a good word. Magical, yeah, like a uh, little magical thing there. Whimsical, yeah. whimsical. <laughs> but uh, so, who wants to who wants to take the next lead in terms of like what we've covered recently that's been pretty unique and fascinating to you? Don't raise your hand all at once. Oh, you guys said yeah. you want to talk about the Rust stuff, so we have to yeah, talk about it at some say. point. So if nobody else wants to go first, then... Um, do it. You know, Take it over. Go ahead, Steve. Uh, I mean, so basically, Rust is awesome, and you all should use it, so <laughs> I post about it. Done. <laughs> Did you see Armin's um, talk at in uh, at RuPai on Rust? Uh, no, I think I was out of the room for that one, okay. um, but... Uh, I heard some stuff about that talk. I'm trying to remember. That was like so long ago. Yeah. Um, but, um, you know, so if you don't know, and for everyone who's listening, um, Rust is a new programming language from Mozilla. It's been around for uh, a couple years now, but it's only started to have been a real project at Mozilla for the last year or two. Um, it's currently had its 0.6 release relatively recently, which is an awesome release because it uh, has eliminated most of the things that are not going to be in the 1.0 version of the language. So this should be the last release where code will actually change significantly between the releases. Um, and basically the, the elevator pitch for Rust is the speed of C++, the concurrency with Erlang, and uh, the type safety of ML. Is, or safety in general, but part of that sort of being types um, with uh, that. So, and semicolons. And semicolons, although they're optional, they mean something. So you don't always need semicolons, actually. Um, but, yes. So I'm super psyched about it. They're writing a browser engine in it called Servo. Um, that's sort of the, the Rust compiler is written in Rust, and Servo is written in Rust, so those are the two big... Uh, projects that are making sure that the language evolves to meet actual needs um, as opposed to like fantasy dreams and uh, it's it's pretty cool so so there it, I read somewhere about something Mozilla wanted to roll rust into something do you know what I'm talking about with uh, I don't know so if it was with Firefox or there's something they wanted to, to eventually roll rust into well yeah so basically um, Mozilla has sort of been saying that, uh, oh, Servo is just an experiment. We just happen to make a web browser, and we happen to be rewriting a new browser engine in this new programming language we're writing. Um, no, our C++ isn't terrible and unmaintainable. We're not making a new programming language so we can rewrite everything. Um, <laughs> so, uh, you know, so ba but basically, yeah, they, they announced a partnership with Samsung to um, Samsung contributed an ARM backend for Rust. Um, and so the idea is that um, Servo is is sort of becoming a more real project. It's it's still very much research, but um, basically uh, that might be the core of new Firefox someday um, on the like five year timescale. Right. right. That's for anyone that of. yeah, for anyone that uh, you know is hearing about it, I I highly recommend reading uh, Rust Rubius. That uh, is an active work with Steve Klabnik. So uh, he's. You know, that's kind of how I got introduced to Rust, and um, it's a real short, easy read, and it's uh, available on uh, GitHub, and just check it out, and uh, we'll post a link to it in the sh uh, show notes. Let's stack. We're doing show notes, right? I would I would assume. 100%, man. Okay, yeah, absolutely. Just making sure. I don't want to just say, uh, yeah, I'll post a link to it in the show notes, and then we don't do it, but I uh, highly recommend Rust for Rubyist. Uh, it's kind of my little intro into Rust, and it was a... Very, very easy, really well written, um, but definitely kind of shows you some cool conceptual ideas. And, uh, you know, you kind of, I don't know if you're like me, like I, I read the first couple chapters and I was like, uh, yeah, this is kind of everything that I 
that seem to you know make me angry uh in the sea world this kind of like it doesn't feel like that so uh definitely cool check it out I should mention the for Rubyists basically means that you're not a system programmer. If you don't know Ruby, there is like five lines of uh, R- Ruby in the book or whatever. So it's like right. you need to be explained what pointers and memory are um, is sort of the point of for Rubyists. Um, so, you know, anyway, if you're not a Rubyist, you should still read it. That's what I'm trying to say. I have this Definitely. new theory that Python 2.7 is going to become the new C. Because it's 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 the you know because right now everyone's on Python three or not no one's on Python three yet but everyone's moving to it and Python two seven will be the most modern unchanged language because it's never going to change there's never going to be another release of it ever. It'll be interesting to see what happens. When was Python three's official release date? Do you know? Oh, it's been out for for like five years, but it's been slowly like getting better and getting more usable. And three three, which just came out uh, this year, is the first one that is like marked as ready for production, basically. Wow. So it'll be really interesting because I, I feel like if you want to build something for true longevity, like this is a, a modern language that will literally never change in any way. So mm-hmm. it, it'll be kind of cool if it works. We'll see. So Kenneth, what do you recommend for people who are, you know, maybe have some experience in in Ruby you know, on the change log? A lot of the people that we have are kind of Ruby. So where do you recommend people kind of jump into Python and, and get started with it? Uh, you mean like what version or just in general? Just like how to learn it in general. What are some projects, you know, to kind of keep an eye on that kind of thing? Um, so I have a project called python-guide.org, the Hitchhiker's Guide to Python. I'll paste the link in. That's um, an awesome name. <laughs> thank you. Uh, yeah, I'm a big fan of Douglas Adams. I, it, I think is, you had, uh, uh, you've got, I've got my towel in your Twitter bio for a while there too, didn't you? Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, I, I never, I'm a fruit who always knows where my, where my towel is. That's it, Yeah. Yeah. I forgot about that. That was a long time ago. Yeah, man. Uh, so uh, the project aims to be like a guide. Basically, like, if, to become a good Python developer, and it's the same with most languages. Um, you know, we're really good about documentation, but there's all this tribal knowledge that you kind of build over time on what is best practice and what isn't. So the goal of this project is to like serialize all that mental knowledge that people acquire and try to get it written down so it's like if you want to do web development here are the two frameworks you should look at not here are the 20 you know here are the, t- the two ones that people actually use that type of thing gotcha yeah it seems like every i don't know every language kind of has the its quirks like that and uh it, it's something you you definitely learn like i was just sharing you know about ruby specifically with some friends of mine that come from a uh more of a php background and it's like yeah ruby's great because uh you know the conventions and all this and that but you know you you got to kind of learn them. Oh, don't do that. That sucks. Like, don't try and do anything like that. And, and you, you kind of learn it as you go. And that's like the frustrating thing. It's like, I want to, I wish there's an easier way for me to kind of share all my knowledge with everyone that I've picked up over the years. But, um, it is, it's, I think tribal, uh, knowledge is probably the best way to put it. You just kind of, you follow the people on Twitter that are kind of sharing the, uh, knowledge and you just try and pick up as much of it as you can. Yeah, so that's what this book is doing kind of? And- Oh, what was that? That's what this book is doing, is doing a little bit with what Andrew's talking about, where you can just kind of step in and share a little bit of wisdom, and it kind of lives throughout the book? Basically, yeah. And it, it's not really in book form yet. It's more of um, it's just a big like documentation can, site. Yeah. Uh, the goal eventually is to get it printed and have it printed at cost, because uh, I know a lot of people like to learn from books. Yeah. I'm not one of those people. Might be I a fun thing to do. I don't want to jump that horse or not, but that'd be kind of like, it seems like that would be a perfect candidate for something like Kickstarter. Yeah, I think so. Oh, maybe. 
Yeah. Or yeah, let's see. What were you going to say, Steve? Because you've been experimenting with this, right? Uh, yeah. So, I mean, I only read physical books, basically. So I'm a super big fan of the physical book world. Um, I'm currently writing three self-published books and one for a publisher. Um, so, you know, there's sort of advantages and disadvantages to both sides of those things. But um, I do really like physical books. I've not gotten any of my self-published books printed in physical paper yet because they're not ready for it. Um, they're mm. all sort of like pre- pre-release um, in, you know, being worked on. So like Rust for Rubius is like 52 pages, right? So it's still a little too small for like a, a real physical book, all that would be okay. Um, same thing with the, the Hypermedia book is currently around 70 pages. So... Uh, you know, I want to bump, you know, make it a little thicker before I uh, bother to submit it somewhere. But, um, you know, yeah. Yeah, I've talked to O'Reilly and a few other companies, too, and they actually do consider, like, even if you have a, a, a book that is, like, Creative Commons, they can still publish it. There's oh, yeah. ways to do that, which is pretty interesting. Yeah, I've talked with a couple publishers um, about that kind of thing, too. So, yeah, totally. They're They're open to it, at least. Yeah, which surprised me. Totally surprising. Totally surprising. It's one of those awkward moments where there's a, a, a transition in, in the topics. Jared, um, why don't you, Jared, why don't you step up and, and lead the next one? I know you've been pretty active. So Jared's one of our most newest contributors to the James Log, and he's uh, he's come out of the the gun just shooting, man. He's he's got <laughs> guns blazing. Yeah, I've uh, I've been writing uh, for the Change Log for a couple months now, and I don't re- I can't really spot a trend in my own. Uh, projects that I submit. Um, I mostly do JavaScript and Ruby development. I also do a little bit of Python here and there um, and some Objective-C. Um, but most of the stuff that I've found that I've been submitting is tools, um, things that make you know uh, whatever you're working on easier. And just looking through my list of, of recent postings, um, a couple that are cool that, uh, that I posted. I think the, the Git Gutter project, I don't know if you guys saw that, um, which started off as a Sublime Text 2 plugin that basically puts Git diffs in your in the gutter of your editor, um, which is a pretty cool project. I thought the really interesting piece about that was, you know, the old uh, my browser can do that two wars. Does that, it do that <laughs> as you're typing, basically? You, you can do it as you type, and if that, I found that that starts to have performance issues. Yeah, so then you can just I do highly it on, don't recommend that. Yeah, on save. <laughs> on save works and so it's just it, it's cool um but what's really cool is like right after that there was a vim port then there was an emacs port then there was a i don't know was it like a notepad plus plus port might have been <laughs> yeah i've been using the uh, the vim port of it and uh it's it's cool like i i really think it's neat and it it's actually there's a lot of tools that you can get where it's like hey this is cool because i can do it not because it actually helps me accomplish a goal and I've and I kind of felt maybe Git Gutter would kind of be that, but as yeah. I've used it, like I've actually found myself, my eyes can jump to where I'm editing a lot easier in Vim when I see those little diffs. Now, uh, I've actually experienced some performance problems more than just on save. Like if I have, like it, let's say I have a, a file of copy or something, and I swap out tons of copy. Like the more and more diffs that I get in one particular, you know, file, it it starts to drag pretty heavily. And I, I haven't quite figured out what it is because some big files don't do it, some do. Um, but there's something that's happening where it'll start to drag and I have to turn it off. And it's 
you know, that's kind of annoying. But um, it's a really cool project. Like, I've found myself actually thinking, you know, the Vim one specifically, this is actually useful, and it's actually helping me accomplish a goal, not just a, like, you know, you put it, Jared, hey, my browser can do that too type of a thing. So that's that kind of cool. Like, I really, I was glad you brought that one up. That was a neat one. Yeah, the thing that I found out, I mean, my concern right away was, you know, is this just going to become annoying over time and I'll just turn it off? And I've actually found that what it does is it kind of prompts me to commit more often and to make smaller commits, which is always a goal for me, you know, mm -hmm. when collaborating is to have your commit, you know, be as small and, and concise as possible. So just seeing those annoying little, you know, pluses and minuses in the gutter reminds you that, okay, maybe it's time to, you know, to get this uh, stage clean. So it's cool stuff. Right. So one thing I wanted to bring up about Jared is, um, you know, him and I have been talking, I guess, you know, Jared, you're one of the first uh, people that we've brought on the to write that like, uh, I get you knew you you had come to know when or somehow you knew when, but, um, you know, neither Stack nor I really knew you. And, and so you're kind of the, the, the guinea pig for a lot of the stuff that we're doing <laughs> new. And uh, it's been it's been kind of fun. Like we're changing you know, some of how the changelog works, like we're changing, uh, you know, obviously it's not on Tumblr anymore. It's now uh, on a, it's a WordPress blog. So we're having to figure out how to like, how can we let authors write, you know, how, like, what are we going to do? So Jared gets to be the guinea pig that has to, you know, kind of play, uh, play along and kind of learn with us. And, uh, you know, just to kind of say publicly, man, you've been doing a great job at it. And, and it's oh, been, uh, we're, we're kind of glad that uh, we don't have somebody that, you know, is kind of fighting us and it feels like you're working with us on it. And so that's something that I know stacks uh, glad for. I'm glad for too. Oh, thanks. I'm having fun. I mean, uh, one of the reasons why I wanted to write for the change log was because I was a long time listener of the podcast. I think in fact, Adam, wasn't it just a podcast and then there wasn't really a blog like there is now. It was just kind of like, yeah, it's a, the blog kind of grew over, over the years, honestly. And I think that's why, it was all. It's you know. I, yeah, exactly. Because if I talk about the change law to people that know the change law, they're like, "Oh yeah, I listen to it." And I'm like, "Well, what about read it? Do you read it?" Right, right. And they're like, oh, "I don't know. Should I read it? How can I read your podcast?" I'm like, "It's you know, it's a blog too. You know, we're you know, the whole reason why it's kind of funny the way the name even come about because I was like, you know, the the name change log is really neat." In just in general, and I'm like, it'd be really cool to have a podcast where we just like looked at something open source and like just talked about its change log. You know, like from version to version, you see things change, and you wonder why. Like, why did that code move here? Why did they totally rip out this feature? Why did they add this feature? You know, and and all this has evolved since 2009 too. But um, yeah, for a long time, it was just a podcast, and we didn't really. Uh, I think we blogged, but it it didn't really have the direction that. I think it has now and you know with that's why you know Kenneth and Steve and Jared and Andrew you guys stepping up and the other writers that are uh that we're working on to come on board it's why it's so important to to like you know truly scan your sectors and and report the things back because y'all have fans out there that look up to you and 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 whatnot in in programming and in in software development and you know it's kind of like uh, uh an honor to like help them learn and help the help lead them in the right directions. Yeah, absolutely. And it's uh it's you know, I was a long time uh reader and just getting, you know, finding new projects through the change log. And when it started to get a little bit quiet I got concerned and I thought, well I can pitch in if you know if they need help. So uh it's been exciting and it's been a good time. 
I just uh, I was reading those comments there. I'm not sure how you pronounce it, but it's uh, OIF underscore vet. Whenever I type in TH into my browser, the changelog and the industry are my top suggestions. <laughs> nice. Wow. Nice. The changelog is mine. Nice. Mm. He's using the, uh, the changelog nightly build. <laughs> So apparently, all American Airline flights are grounded right now. They have a nationwide computer outage. They're supposed to be back. I saw. Yeah, I thought they're supposed to be back up by five Eastern. So that's crazy. I didn't even hear about it. See, that's why I never fly them. There you go. I just I just flew with Southwest and I loved it. One of the first few times I've flown Southwest. If I flew it before, I don't remember it. Because um, sometimes yeah, when well, I go, well, you would remember they take it. They're very chill compared to most airlines. Oh yeah, yeah. They actually treat you like a good. human being. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Andrew, you also mentioned a comment in the in the IRC. I almost want to call it a chat room, but uh, IRC that we did have the handle Change Log Show on Twitter for a very long time, um, and then Alex Dunne, who, if you don't know Alex Dunne, he is most famous. Um, for his, um, what's it called again? Pre-mailer. It's mm-hmm. a Ruby gem, but uh, basically it'll take HTML and CSS and munch it together to kind of set it up for email, uh, which is really neat if you have a Ruby. And I think we use it at, at Pure Charity still, don't we, Andrew? Uh, I, I don't know that we're actually using it anymore in production, but uh, you know it's horrible practice, but the gem is still there. Horrible practice? Like we're st- we still have the gem there, even though I don't think we're using oh, it. horrible uh, practice on our part, I not see. on Miller's part. I thought we still used it because we keep a separate style sheet and a separate HTML document for the email that goes out, and Miller basically takes those two and puts them together. It, it inlines all those styles, so you don't have to uh, be a yes. A, yeah, know. we we are using Miller. Yeah, yeah, you're right. So Alex Dunne, he had the changelog for a long time, and he had it in all caps too. So if every once in a while you see anybody. Tweet to the change log in all caps. It's like one of his old friends thinking that we're still him. But uh, <laughs> so we we used to be change log show because you're right, uh, Jerry. When you said we started out as a podcast, it's like the very first domain we registered to start the change log was changelogshow.com, and then uh, and then we smartened up and we're like, eh, the change log's better. Um, the face the opposite of what Facebook did. Yeah, and we added the we you know who's going to get changelog.com though. I mean that's. I wonder what it is. What is it? I don't know. Let's find out. Uh, I don't. House of Distraction dot net. It says when you go there. You guys are braver than me. Oh my god! (laughs) I know, Steve. This seems like a little bit of a hypermedia API here. It's just links to follow. Yeah. Yeah. It's a puzzle. And it's a uh, when you were asking what happens if you play the uh, play the uh, feed live while you're recording. I think that was Jared that asked that. HouseofDistraction.net is that thing. It, it relinks you to HouseofDistraction.net. Weird. I'm looking up the who is now. It'll probably be like a fielding guy, Church of Fielding. Ah, never mind. Yeah, never mind. So, is there any trends? <laughs> I mean, let's let's pick up the conversation again. Is there any trends out there that's been, I guess, going on? Maybe even just here in 2013. That's that's kind of like. Uh, across the entire landscape, not language specific, you know, just kind of agnostic across the whole entire landscape of software. I'm pretty excited about a new project that DocCloud's been doing called Docker. Oh yes, have you seen that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's but... uh, it's kind of like what Heroku does uh, with basically Heroku is built on LXC containers, 
uh, for isolation. And uh, Docker is a way to, to do that yourself, basically. They kind of package up all the hard work of running, making your own LXC containers. Cool. Pretty awesome. Uh, we want to get him actually on a future show to talk about that project because it was really unique to, to just like see what they're what they're doing. We did cover that. I mean, I, I covered it, but it's so beyond my minuscule brain to even truly cover, you know, Linux containers and all that good stuff. It's it's a bit beyond me, but I could definitely tell it was like bleeding edge technology. Yeah, yeah and then uh, the Canonical team is also working on a project called Juju, which allows you to. Uh, they're gonna try to kind of compete with, um, with I guess Chef and Puppet and things like that. And uh, the really cool part about it is that it'll allow you to to deploy locally to LXC containers, basically. So there's a lot of really cool stuff happening in that space. It seems like a lot of these companies that, you know, I don't that traditionally are in the area that you know would have been more about enterprise technology and stuff are embracing the open source, and uh, it's it's been really cool to kind of. You know, with even with like the GitOps of the world and, and things like that, to see companies, you know, trying to figure out what you were saying, Kenneth, like sustainability with open source and how do we as a company, you know, kind of make money and, and do open source and, and this and that. So that's something that I've been kind of, I guess, excited about and just kind of a trend that seems like a very positive one that's that's cool to watch. Steve, I recall you blogging about, and I I can't recall if it was a true rant or not, but I. It seemed like the tone of your blog post back in the day was a little ranty and a little bit of anger, but Me? you were talking about burnout. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, I mean, the, I don't know if that was a blog post, but uh, I definitely have been more and more um, interested in the idea of burnout. Um, there's a one of the guys who's been around Rails for a very long time, uh, Michael Cause, some last name, I don't know, we call him Cause, uh, has a tweet where he basically says, like, in order to be an open source for multiple years, you need to, need to become a misanthrope or get burned out. Um, mm. And uh, I think it's very true. You can see a lot of people that are a big name contributors getting burned out by um, abuse from users, among other things. Uh, and so that's something I'm seeing that we're, like, possibly going to see more of, or we at least need to have a conversation about the scalability of open source maintainers. Um, there's a, there's a, uh, comment on, uh, let's see, what is it? It's, uh, Jeremy Ashkenaz's copy scripts. Um, there was a specific, um, comment at an issue where someone brought up, uh, a new feature and Jeremy sort of closed it sort of tersely. And this person got mad and he sort of wrote this big comment, uh, I'll paste it into the IRC and we'll have it in the show links, um, about like how people that are, because of the asymmetry involved with maintaining a popular open source project and then using a popular open source project, the communication gets a little mixed up and sometimes users can feel like they're being ignored and uh, maintainers can feel like they're being abused. So nobody wins. Um, and it's something that we're, as open source sort of scales up and out, we're going to need to figure out how to manage this like problem. Um, so, yeah. yeah. It's funny you mention this because when I was, uh, like this past weekend, we went out to, to Panama City um, at the gracious invite of Alan Branch and Stephen Bristol. Uh, Bumped, who I everything. It. Yeah, and... Uh, Great conference. I mean, the the best, absolutely best conference of any conference of any conference. But um, Roger Russell happened to be there, who's I, I guess he's famous for Planet Argon and his work with Postgres and a bunch of other stuff. But he's even more famous 
um, potentially from Omai ZSH and his, uh, you know, widespread adoption of ZSH and, and whatnot. But I happen to have a, a quick chat with him as we were standing in line for the Doom Buggies because at LessConf you don't just hear people speak, you actually ride Doom Buggies, which is super awesome. Um, but he's like, yeah, the changelog really just jacked up my life. I'm like, what do you mean? And he's like, well, you know, I released Omai ZSH and I came on the show and Kenneth, it was me and you on that show actually. Um, that talked to Robbie, and he's like, he's like, yeah, I went into that show with like almost no issues, and I came out of that show with like a hundred, and I couldn't keep it, <laughs> I couldn't keep it less. Or I think some... the big takeaway from that show for him was that he was trying to keep the pull requests under one hundred and twenty-five. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then like it sprawled up to like one of the most popular repositories on GitHub for a while there, and it might still be there. I don't watch that. I don't, I don't really care about those stats, but, um, but he was like, yeah, he's like, you know what? I want to come back on the change log, and I want to talk about how open source, uh, how uh, Omizi. I can't remember exactly what he said, but he was like very passionate about coming on the show and talking about you know just basically what you said, uh, Steve, which is like this burnout, and you know even back to what you were talking about, Andrew, with like sustainability of a project. Like you get this maintainer, and no one else wants to step up and help out, or they just expect to just you know spat out feature requests and not actually get a chance to like. Step in and sling some code. The um, hardest part when you're working on a project is using it. Yeah, I've uh, I don't have any major projects like OMIZSH, but I've got a couple of smaller ones that are like in the you know hundreds range of of watchers and you know forks and stuff like that. And I've become a bad maintainer. I don't watch them anymore because I'm just too busy. Yeah. And but thank God my my software is not. Um, you know, quite as critical as some of these other softwares out there because they'd be like, people would be finding my house and breaking in and taking me out. Yeah, Rescue I guess has... it's like... Go ahead. Sorry, Sorry, go ahead. I guess it's like the double-edged sword of open source is like you, you tend to work on it on the side and you're, you're trying to do something that you want it to be uh, successful, you want it to be something that is useful, but like the more useful it becomes, the more people use it, the higher the demand to improve it gets. And, and if you're doing it on the side... Um, you know, it's kind of a struggle to, to keep maintaining it, but you know, that's where we encourage people. Like that's the beauty of open source is if you find something wrong or if you want a feature, there's nothing to stop you from implementing that feature. And so, you know, it's kind of like you get both sides of it. Did we lose somebody on the call? Looks like we may have lost Kenneth. Kenneth seems like he might be out. Kenneth, you might be able to come right back in if you're listening. <laughs> I don't think you're listening cause you were talking, but let me see if I can pull Kenneth back in. And that's what you—that's ha- what happens with Skype. Oh, it could be his internet. So if you hear some screeching or squawking in the background, that's Kenneth trying to come back in with his flaky internet. Anyone interested in this topic of burnout should also watch this amazing talk by Fat, uh, the guy who—one of the guys who started Bootstrap. Um, he wrote a blog post and gave a talk at .js called What is Open Source and Why Do I Feel So Guilty um, about Bootstrap and its issues. And so it is also very relevant on this um, maintainer burnout situation. So, Dude, what a, what a URL, too. He's got a .XXX URL. Yeah, don't type fat.xxx. Make sure you type byfat.xxx. That's <laughs> all I will say yeah. on that URL. That's crazy right there. But his blog is awesome. You should read every single post in it because they're amazing. But you know, that one's relevant to the topic at hand. 
I've been meaning to actually listen to that. I got I got through the first little bit of it, only to the point where he was talking about how he was jet lag getting there and how he wasn't like he didn't really care. How, I guess how he said this talk or whatever. But I was like, you know, I, I got to go back and listen to this. So thanks for reminding me to to do that. Totally, it's very. I totally very recall useful. hearing about this, but never got a chance to actually sit through the whole thing. But just add that to my watch later, or read later, or something later. And I don't know if we lost Kenneth totally. I think we may have completely lost Kenneth. Uh, yeah. I will invite him again. It seems like we may have lost him. So when Kenneth comes back, um, we're about to close up the show here in a few seconds. So one thing that uh, it's kind of neat, one thing um, that that I think might work well is just if we can kind of go around the proverbial room and just plug something before we close the show so we'll start with andrew andrew why don't you plug something cool that you've uh you found recently that is not on the change log yet and i put yet in parentheses for you uh so one thing that i intend to put on the change log and we've we've actually mentioned it in briefly is the uh is it called discourse it's the it's the project by um uh Coding horror. What is his name? Yes. from Stack Overflow. Jeff Atwood. Jeff Atwood. Uh, Jeff Atwood, and uh, it's discourse, and and you know it's really like a a project that's aimed at um, you know making uh, community engagement, community conversations, community Q and A, kind of like a you know more than just a uh, threaded environment, and and it's a really cool open source uh, project that you know it, it it's still I, it's still in beta and there's not a ton on it, but I, I used it a little bit and it's something that I, I think will grow and I would like to see it grow. So uh, it's called Discourse and I think you know you should check it out. We did cover that quickly. Uh, only uh, I think we had even a side chat about that, Andrew, where we we're like, yeah, Discourse was kind of like a cameo in that blog post because it was uh, it was the same fella, obviously. But his post was on why Ruby because he was coming from .NET, or not coming from .NET. Like I guess he's most fluent in .NET, but he was you know stating the case of why he chose Ruby for uh, coding discourse with that rather than like something .NET. I mentioned it in passing once or twice too because they uh, have done a lot of good open source work. Um, I specifically wrote a post for the changelog about their one of their tech leads um, being a, a, a hero. I think was the phrasing that I used um, by like doing some really awesome um, performance analytics and then submitting patches upstream based on performance stuff. Um, so yeah, discourse has been around once or twice, but I don't think we've ever done a real post on it. Yeah. So we're looking forward to that future post there, Andrew. Mm-hmm. No pressure, no pressure. All right. So let's turn it over to Jared. Jared, what, what's, uh, what's something you want to plug that you haven't posted yet? Yeah, so um, I'm doing a lot of JavaScript work. I've been getting into deeper into the client-side frameworks and uh, most recently working on a project with AngularJS and just really, really enjoying that framework. So I'm hoping to cover um, some pieces related to that. Um, if you're interested in learning, there's some, there's some tricky bits if you're just getting started. Um, so there's a great site that has uh, interactive, or not interactive, but videos, tutorials called egghead.io. Uh, very short uh, little videos, screencasts that kind of uncover a lot of the the tricky the tricky bits of Angular. So definitely worth checking out. I will. I have not, but I will. 
You know, I'm actually in the speaking of that, I'm I'm kind of in this limbo state. Like I've always been a very diverse, I guess, technological person, but never a uh like a superhero in like one niche. I kind of like play a lot of different positions, so I've been trying for a couple of years not to like really learn JavaScript, but when I say try, I mean like here and there I'll read a book and kind of get started and then it'll fizzle out. And then I kind of get busy with a different project that totally has nothing to do with coding and like I do a lot of podcasting and right. uh, like at, at Pure Charity, I'm a product manager. So it's like I, I've kind of lifted myself up from a lot of the different things at the bare metal that I used to do and I just never get a chance to like truly pour into it. But um, I think one thing I'll plug is that uh, – I, I actually I'm kind of breaking the rules I guess because I did post this but it was Derek Sivers, um, he had uh, and I like the guy you know speaking of Les Conf, he spoke at the original Les Conf uh, back in 2009 and I was just floored with how cool that dude is I mean he is so freaking humble and you wouldn't even think I mean not that he's any better than any of us in this room here but you know he's just such a cool dude and I've always just really respected the I guess his point of view and perspective on on things because he's just like a a true life hacker I guess you know he doesn't like he doesn't let a wall stand in front of him he finds a way to knock it down or go around it or get over it he doesn't let anything stop him from trying to pursue his dreams but so he when he posted that about how it to to better learn JavaScript and mentioned those few books which we'll post a link in the show notes but if you're listening live I'll add the link here in a couple of seconds to IRC but that was a, a really cool thing so. Yeah, he he did a blog post called "There's No Speed Limit to Life" that changed my life. Is that right? Yeah, some really cool stuff in there. Wow! And he wrote a really good book. I recommend too. I can't remember what it's called. I think it's called "Anything You Want." And so I guess that's Kenneth Reese back, dude. I didn't even know you got back. Yeah, sorry about that. That's so. That's Skype, so I was Skype like, was I thought we crazy. lost it, and I'm like, that sounded like Steve for a second there, but no, no that's Kenneth. Yeah, I blame Microsoft. <laughs> that's awesome. That's awesome, man. So we'll make sure we link that uh, in the show notes too. So Kenneth, make sure you post that link in IRC so we can scoop up that link and add it to the show notes. But uh, who wants to go next? Who wants to add something next? Kenneth, I guess since you're speaking, you can in your back. Uh, sure. When, I'm, I assume we're talking about uh, just the takeaways for the things that we're interested in this week. Yeah, like so, plug something that you haven't posted at the change log yet or you want to that maybe you haven't Ooh. yet. I can tell you about a project I'm interested in that I'm working on. Um, I'm trying to create a create a project that is going to be the opposite of um, the 410 gone situation, basically. So you have like uh, Y and uh, Mark Pilgrim and these people that decide to like bridge quit from the internet, which is totally fine, and that's I completely respect that decision. But it made me start thinking about like you know what happens when you're no longer there, right? That's a it's a really important topic that people don't consider a lot. So I was trying to think. You know, all, if the if the content I'm like publishing, I'm making code, I'm making projects, blog posts, I'm a photographer, you know, and all these things live on the internet. What happens when I'm gone and the hosting bills aren't paid anymore? Right. So I'm working on this project that kind of sucks everything in, puts it all into S3 as like this flat file type thing, and then automatically puts everything on archive.org um, that I'm really excited about. It's called Blackbox, nice. and I'm uh, I'm hoping to start um, working on that more soon. Uh, I was I was work really into it, and I was going to start blogging about it, and then the Aaron Swartz uh, incident happened, so I wanted to wait a while. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm really interested in in those things right now, and it's been a lot on my mind lately. That is really neat. Yeah, I mean, 
I remember when I can't remember his was it Mike no not um, who was it that a couple of years ago like just disappeared not why but somebody else Mark Pilgrim Mark, Mark Pilgrim. Pilgrim yeah and so is it stemming from that is that what you're talking about uh, basically I mean it's not the reaction to that it's just, that's just a good example of what I don't want to happen right. basically but, you know his his was an intentional but if you think about it like you know there aren't that many um, developers who have like naturally passed I guess or, yeah. I don't, it's it's a it's a touchy subject, but basically, you know, I'm not going to be around in 80 years. What happened to all the things I've created? You know, uh, mm-hmm. it's like a preservation, exactly, a museum uh, of sorts. Yeah, I also do a lot of work with the archive team, uh, which is in association with archive.org. It's the, we have the uh, it's called the preserta- preservation of a what is it? I can't remember. Distributed uh, attack of preservation or something like that. We have a lot of fun. So, like, we're backing up Postress right now because they're they're going to shut off 9.3 million blogs. Wow. Um, and it's you know, they have like I think a week left or something like that. And that's I mean that's a lot. A lot of people poured you know years and years into their Postress blogs. And they're just going to turn it all off. It's crazy. So, uh, right. were you involved with the uh, the guys who uh, backed up GeoCities? Yeah, that's the archive team. That's the archive team. Yeah. And uh, MobileMe, and a bunch of stuff like that. So right now we're working on FormSpring because they're shutting down, and Postress is the biggest one. Uh, it's a lot of fun. If you go to, I think, archiveteam.org, uh, there's a bunch of information on the projects. And a lot of the stuff is written in Python. It's pretty cool. It's about, because, uh, you know, this, this stuff is really historical and is important because you have people that, uh, like, their GeoCity sites, like, they, you know, maybe their son passed away or something, and, like, they had photos from a photographer that were on GeoCities or on MobileMe, and those are, like, the only thing they have left, and then they go one day and they're gone. You know, so having these things uh, recorded is extremely important. There is a um, downside, though, in that if you did dumb stuff in your childhood, <laughs> it is still up there and now is being archived instead of going away. It's true. That's uh, true. So There's a, it's not a universal good thing to save everything that's ever hit the internet. That's all I'm saying. Agreed. Yeah. So don't uh, go search for Steve Klabnik on the internet. Definitely don't do that. <laughs> well, that, that's why uh, I can never say this word. Anonymity. Uh, <laughs> Anonymity. Yes, that Anonymity. word. Uh, it's extremely important, which is why, uh, you know, because, you know, if you've uh, had a certain situation, it can often be very dangerous to have your name associated with things online. So... I don't know. It's kind of funny how everybody stepped in to say the word, too, for you. <laughs> can you say it again? I really can't do it. Anonymity. Anonymity. There we go. Kind of sounds hey. like it reminds me of uh, of Nemo. Yeah, an anonymity. All right. Speaking of, speaking of Nemo, uh, Steve, last but not least, what's uh, what's been on your mind, man? I'm pasting this link into the IRC and we'll put it in the show notes, I'm sure. But me and a friend started a mailing group called Philosophy in a Time of Software, um, specifically to discuss the intersection of philosophy and technology at whatever level of, of understanding you have of philosophy. So um, we have about 200 people and it's like a relatively low traffic mailing list, but sometimes we get good discussions going. So if those things interest people at all, uh, I would that's my pitch slash pick. Um, for a thing that might be interesting to people, so. And uh, did you post a link? No, no. I put, link? I put one in the IRC. It's a Google mm. group. Oh, okay, gotcha. Let me, let me. I was responding to somebody else quickly. It is all good. Philosophy in a time of software. Yeah, it's this a Derrida reference. 
Um, but uh, there's some there's a lot of really cool, really smart people, and we're sort of like in that startup stage where like I don't want to run over the list, but I'm trying to generate some content. So you know we have some some reasonable posts that have had some discussion and some that have less and like, you know, we're working on it. So, uh, is, it, is this the only place this exists or is there a website or anything like the, that? Is the only place that it currently exists. Uh, if it continues to like build, maybe we'll make a website or do some other stuff with it. Um, but you know, it's always hard to bootstrap a project, right? So even when you have a bunch of hundred people reading, everyone's busy and it can take a while sometimes. So like, you know, it's, it's slow going, but, uh, it's been useful so far. So, What's this one that you uh, that you post the meme hustler? Uh, that is an article. Uh, that is a twenty five thousand word article on Tim O'Reilly. Actually, I read that. Yeah, that's um, very interesting. Uh, mostly because the fact I enjoy the fact that it makes me viscerally uncomfortable since I love Tim O'Reilly and it is critical of Tim O'Reilly. Um, and so I always like to read things that directly challenge my initial understanding of things. Um, so I found it very enlightening um, on a number of things. So. What's this? I want to write software that helps kill people. I read that they just uh, that is a grabby title, but it actually is. But it's it's totally legitimate. Like software that I have open source is used by a number of organizations that are terrible. So like if you have ever gotten a patch into Ruby or Python, for example, your software is being used by in in this particular instance, your software is being used by uh, Palantir, and the government is using Palantir to decide who to kill. Um, so you have contributed to software that has killed a human being, um, I see. which is a very, uh, complicated, you know, ethical discussion basically mm-hmm. about what, um, the ethics involved. Um, one of the interesting things is that, you know, the free software definition does not allow for, uh, use restrictions. So you're actually not allowed to say that, uh, software cannot be used to kill people. And in fact, um, it's funny. So JS Lint is a, um, a linting program for JavaScript, right? And JS Lint's license says um, JS Lint may not be used for evil. And uh, IBM wanted to distribute JS Lint with something that it gave out. And so IBM had to actually contact the author and ask to pay for a, uh, a license that did not include that cause. And so wow. the author the author wrote this blog post that said, like, I am giving IBM the license to use uh, JS Lint for evil. Um, because, you know, that's not legally defined, so they could be liable um, if someone decided. And IBM has collaborated with the Nazis before, so um, arguably they have done evil things, uh, even with software. So, uh, you know, they got to get that clause out of there or whatever. So it's very complicated. And this is one of the examples of the intersection between the two fields is, like, what is ethics? Like, what research in the field of ethics uh, can we apply to our current situation to, you know, know that what we're doing uh, feels good, um, you know, et cetera? Um, Huh. So, and just uh, you know, for me, from my perspective, following Steve on Steve Klabnik on Twitter, that Steve Klabnik, he will be very open to entertain these discussions if you want to talk further about him with him. So, totally. It's uh, it's funny. What's uh, what's the guy's name? And I'm, it's, I'm, I feel like I'm even a, an idiot for not even remembering it. But uh, last name Crawford. Super to well Douglas, Douglas Douglas Crawford. Totally got his first name, but um, back in the day when Wynn and I went to like, I think it was the original Texas GS actually, um, we got a chance to chat with him, and and that's one thing that Douglas talked quite a bit about was, um, was just software being used for evil. I, I, I'm pretty sure that it's in that episode. He talks quite heavily about it. Just FYI. Well, it's just one of those things that you don't think about, you know. You li- you live in a bubble, you live in a little like capsule that you don't really realize like ha- what it- what an impact you could be doing 
would have like not just you know the intended audience but you know everyone in the world has access to this so what might it be being used for I today got a Nazi's website removed from the internet because uh, his hosting provider does not allow for hate speech. And so they wrote a Rails, you know, a Rails app or whatever that allows you to set up political drives to collect campaign money. And so, like, you know, they don't audit every single customer they have, right? And so I just sent them an email and was like, yo, by the way, one of your customers is a Nazi. You should know that. And, uh, you know, like, this totally happens. Like, we build software that's used. Software is just a tool. You can use it for any end. And lots of people right. want to use it for bad ends. So, do not use software for evil. Long story short, TLDR. Yes, sir. So that that's uh, so the the change log is back. You guys excited? I'm excited. I feel like we've officially launched the blog now that the podcast is officially back. Like for a while there, I wanted to get it out like right away, but I knew we kind of had to have this time frame. So Andrew got. Uh, Got a nice little mic set up, plus he's moved, and he had to get settled in a bit, and life's been kind of chaotic for me as well, but um, if you're listening now, every Tuesday, live at uh, 3 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Eastern, every uh, every Tuesday at that time, you can hopefully bet your life on it. If not, we'll be really sad, and you can make it happen by becoming a member. That'd be really awesome to help us out, keep this, uh, this train rolling, and if you happen to to uh to want to become a writer for the change log you can reach out to us you do have to get a personal invite right now from somebody who's already a writer for the change log so that's kind of like the the only caveat right now so we do accept bribes wait yeah <laughs> bribes can happen so and the only reason for that is just to keep the initial uh writing staff kind of tight knit it's also heavily tied to membership so the more members we have the more writers we can bring on to cover more awesome open source software, so um, that's the easiest way I can say it. But uh, that has been the the first new change log. So everybody, want to say goodbye? Goodbye. Goodbye. Peace. Hello, yeah.